How cool is this? Fantastic. This is so exciting. Uh, exciting, and I'm so glad to see everybody's face here today. I want to give a massive, warm, loving, caring welcome to every last one of you. I have missed you. I have missed this coming together. And uh, whether you're online, whether you're in Alma right now, or with your presence in the room here today, I'm thrilled, thrilled, beyond thrilled that, yeah, uh, that you are here. And, and listen, we just sang about it. Uh, the faithfulness of our God, looking at the last several months, interesting few months, yeah? And yet the faithfulness of our God is steadfast. Would you agree? I, I would just say, um, as we look to our King and our Savior today, um, we, he is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And I think, I, find, I think we find ourselves at a place today where probably a newfound gratitude for the house of God and just the opportunity to say, I get to meet with my brothers and my sisters and my father and to worship and to open up God's word, something that we were well used to. And now here we are today. I think there's this humble gratitude to say, God, thank you for the coming together of the saints, of brothers and sisters with each other. I um, Let's dive into the Word of God if we could today. I distinctly remember as a, as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, um, maybe this was you, maybe this is not, you're more organized than I was. I was never that guy who had the plan. Some, and I, sometimes I was amazed by people where you'd bump into people and they'd say, I, I know what I'm going to study in school, I know what I'm going to go to college for, I know, I know what I want to do for my work, for my career, and, and I've got it mapped out, and here's my five-year, my ten. I was never, ever that guy. I, but I can remember distinctly, as a very young man, probably in my early 20s, all of a sudden, just this endearment to this, the church. I remember, like, going, this is really important to me. Um, not only do I like it, I find this to be very significant for me. And I found this affection for the church. And whereas I didn't have these crazy ambitions and plans, I didn't have everything figured out, what I believe now as I look back is I can look back and I believe that the Holy Spirit was actually drawing me and calling me into ministry, which was the local church. And I'll never, ever forget that. There is a prolific U.S. modern writer by the name of Frederick Buchner, fantastic writer of the last century. He grew up in a family that was completely unchurched, had nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the Bible, would never, ever, ever go to a church. He had a difficult life as a young boy. His father actually committed suicide. He lived in a very sophisticated, very non-religious, high education sort of environment, family and friends, those, that was his circle. And against all odds, this prolific writer from the U.S., one day, I don't know how it happened, he found himself in a church. He was in the state of New York. And in that church on that day, he encountered nothing less than the love of Jesus Christ. Much to the bewilderment of every friend or family member. They were just puzzled and couldn't believe that this had actually happened to him. So much so that he felt this calling into the church. He felt drawn into ministry. He went to seminary, and of all things, he ended up becoming a Presbyterian uh, minister. One day at a dinner party, a very well-educated, probably well-meaning, I think, woman turned to him and actually said to him, so, I hear that you're going to seminary. 
and that you're going to enter into the ministry. And she asks him this question, I think a little bit rudely. This is what she says. Was this your own idea, or were you poorly advised? A little bit of a rude question, would you agree? This is what he writes, and he's a, he's a phenomenal writer. He says, and the answer that she could not have heard, even if I could give it, was that it wasn't my idea at all. It wasn't mine or anybody's. It was a lump in my throat. It was an itching in my feet. It was a stirring in my blood. It was a name which, when I wrote it out in a dream, I knew that it was a name worth dying for, but I didn't know if I was brave enough to do the dying myself, and I wasn't even sure what that name was. Come to me, Jesus says, every one of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you a high and a driving peace in your life. I will give you a purpose worth living for, and I will give you a hope worth dying for. It was a name that I could barely express, but it was all expressed, he says, in the church. The church is his idea. It's his legacy. It's his family. Somehow, imagine this, the church is the presence of God on earth. Now think about this. Where else can you go? Think of any other organization or company or, or nonprofit or, or university or philosophy. Where else can you go that you will discover the value of a single human life made in the image of God? Where you will be offered forgiveness from God for your sins and your shame. Where you will learn about the promise of the resurrection and the demands of God's holy justice and the triumph of God's ultimate purpose. Where else do you get that in the world? Nowhere. All of that is expressed in the church. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to take one week and I want to talk to you about the beauty of the church. Even our little church in Mount Pleasant and in Alma and everyone who's watching online, that it actually matters, that it truly is significant. I want to take you back to the very first conversation in history ever about the church. A lot of people don't know where this idea, idea even came from. And it was this. One day Jesus was with his disciples, and he asked them a poignant question. He says, hey guys, who do people say that I am? What do people think about me? And one of the guys, a fellow by the name of Peter, he answers. It's in Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start reading from the 16th verse. Peter, in answer to the question, says, this is who you are. You're the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus blesses Peter. Now, this would not be unusual. A rabbi would often bless their students, particularly if they got an answer to a question right. But what Jesus goes on to say in the next verse would have come as a complete shock to all of the disciples. Verse 17, he answers him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades... Another version says, the gates of hell will not overcome. Amen. Give me an amen. amen. I've been preaching to a video camera for like five months. I'm going to require some serious amens today. I've been doing bad jokes in front of video cameras, not knowing if they were funny at all. They probably were not. 
One scholar says that little verse that we just read there, where Jesus talks about the church, he says it is the most discussed verse, the most talked about paragraph in the entire Gospel of Matthew. I will build my church. And do you know what the disciples probably, do you know what their response probably would have been to that statement? Here's what it would have been. Hey, Jesus, what's a church? Seriously, what, what, what is that? We've never heard of a church before. No one's ever talked about that. It's not only the first time that we see it in the Bible, it's the first time we see it in human history anywhere. No other religious leader had ever said anything like what Jesus had just said in that moment. Jesus was saying, I am going to build an all-inclusive community of love that would not just tolerate, but that would embrace every man and every woman, every ethnicity, every nationality, every skin color, every culture, every language, every status. I'm going to build an inclusive community of people where enemies become friends, where people who are opposed to each other become family. Like, you know, Jews and Gentiles, it's going to be a family for them to be together. Romans and barbarians, they're going to come together and they're actually going to love each other. A community that would have at the center of its mission, not the enriching of its members, rather that those members would sacrifice their very lives for the enrichment of those people who are outside of the community to bring them inside the loving community of God. So that those people would encounter the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The justice of God would be brought to bear in every place where there is the suppression of justice where there would be this invitation of grace and forgiveness and love to people who are riddled with shame and guilt. And then even people who would persecute the church, we would invite them in through the doors. And that not only would they do that, this is incredible, but they would bow with humility and offer that to people that everyone else had completely discarded like the nobody waste of space people in that culture that they would have come to a slave and said, how can we bring value to your life? How can we tell you about this person called Jesus Christ? Nothing like that had ever existed before, ever. The courage of a group of people who at that time would defy an emperor called Nero and then not only defy him, but pray for him at the same time. Do you understand that that just didn't exist anywhere, ever? No one had even talked about it. It wasn't even an idea. Jesus thought this up. What we get to do right here. Moses never said, I will build my synagogue. Buddha never said, I will build my temple. Muhammad never said, I will build my mosque. And certainly back then, there were ancient tribal thinking and religions, and there were philosophical schools, and there were traditions of wisdom, of course. But what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, 17, and 18, was brand new. It was completely different. How would you do it if it were you? Put yourself in his shoes. Imagine you uh, were a penniless carpenter 
Imagine you lived 2,000 years ago, and your task was to create a movement that would live on for thousands of years. How on earth would you do that? How would you bring about an organization that would bring more relief, that would launch more hospitals, more research universities, more relief organizations, would inspire more art than anything else combined in human history that would spread to every continent, every culture, that would attract billions of followers and not only still exist, but actually continue to grow 2,000 years ago. How would you do that? <laughs> what would your first step be in an enterprise like that? And Jesus the carpenter, whatever you think of him, whether you believe in him or not, or his claims, he actually did that. He did that very thing across all those continents and cultures and thousands of years. He loved and he taught and he healed. He died an unforgettable death on a cross. And rumor has it, and I really like this rumor, he's not dead anymore. Rumor has it he's alive. Rumor has it he actually rose from the dead. And in this passage, these disciples, for the very first time, they're getting a glimpse as to, like, the hugeness and the bigness of Jesus. They probably thought, like, this guy's amazing. But now, they're beginning to actually speak truth out of their mouths as to the gigantic nature of his identity and what he's going to accomplish. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus turns around and says, yes, and watch what I'm going to do, because the gates of hell won't be able to touch it. His project, his plan A, and by the way, he doesn't have a plan B. You might think God crazy for this, is simply called the church. He's put all his eggs in the church basket, and he's going to go through with it. I think the disciples, it's like... I didn't know we signed up for that. I mean, I remember the follow me thing. I didn't know we were going to sign up for the church building business. We signed up for the rabbi following business. That was a nice one. A lot of guys signed up for that one. You learn the Torah, become a little bit of an expert, you get the robes, you follow the rules, people look up to you, you find a nice wife, you get a nice family. It's a pretty nice life. But build something that we've never even heard of before. Sacrifice. What? Oh, everything. Sacrifice time and money and energy and risk and people laughing at you and go all over the world and maybe end up in jail or maybe end up martyred. Do you remember the rude question? Hey, Peter, is this your idea? Or were you poorly advised? Only here's the thing. It's the chance of a lifetime. It's worth living for. It's worth dying for. This makes catching fish and collecting taxes and making money and gaining security and building a nice little resume for yourself look like nothing. Looks very small. A couple of key items for us to notice. I'm going to throw in a few questions here. Who does the church belong to? Is it my church? Is it your church? He says, I will build, I will build my church. 
So it doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to us. The church actually belongs to Jesus Christ. It wasn't Peter's church. It wasn't Andrew's church. It wasn't Thomas's church for doubting people or Zacchaeus's church for small people. We follow him. We look to him. We study him. We worship him. We point people to him. He's the hero. He's the purpose. And the purpose of this church is to simply help people find and know this person called Jesus Christ simply because there's never been anyone else like him before. Who's going to build a church, Jesus? Jesus says, I will build a church. I think I got this wrong during the last five months. I'm like, wow, what's happened to the church? I better fix it. No, I think Jesus has got the church just fine without Alan Cullen's help. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus claims to be the one who's going to be on this. He says, I've got this. How does the church keep going? Well, you see, Jesus is building it oftentimes in places that you wouldn't expect. He builds it in secret places. He builds it on the margins. He builds it through people who are described as poor in spirit. He builds a church through people who mourn, through people who are uneducated. He builds a church through unpaid volunteers who nobody thinks is important, but Jesus says, I see a group of people who are on their knees tirelessly in prayer. This is how I'm building the church. He builds a church through widows who give gifts of generosity that are so tiny, but God looks at them and he says, this is an act of outrageous, radical generosity. That is how I will build my church. Through people like you, Jesus is building his church. And what would this church be like? This thing that no one's ever heard of. This thing that nobody's ever even thought about. Well, Jesus teaches about this. I want to highlight two little items right here. We have five core values as a church. I'm going to highlight two of them that are incredible principles of truth from the Word of God and earmark the church and what we have to be about. The first one is this, unconditional love. Anyone here grateful for unconditional love? I'm incredibly grateful for it. It's one of the signature characteristics of Jesus Christ. As a rabbi, check this out. He actively talked to and connected with everybody. And rabbis didn't do that. In fact, they deliberately did not do that. There were people that rabbis were like, I wouldn't touch that person. I'm not talking to them. They're beneath me. They're not Jewish. They're Samaritan. That's a woman. That's a sinner. They're but not Jesus. In fact, he was kind of famous for this. In fact, it was kind of a scandalous thing about Jesus Christ. He just loved and embraced and included and talked with and touched anybody, anybody who would come to him. Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, leper, the unclean, beggars, slaves, tax collectors, Roman soldiers, paralytics, prostitutes, and demon-possessed people. And Jesus is like, yep, that's who I want to connect with. That's who I want to touch. That's who I want to talk to. He's famous for this. Even his opponents, his enemies, they acknowledged this. One man was trying to trap him, and he said this, quote, Teacher, we know that you're sincere, that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and you show deference to nobody. Jesus was known for that. He says, for you do not regard people with partiality. Do you know who does that? We do that. That's not what Jesus does. Anybody who came to him, 
Jesus was famous for this. In fact, he was heavily criticized for this. This is what they said about him. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And in an honor, shame, hospitality culture from 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, this was just scandalous that you would actually go to somebody's home and share a meal with a sinner. Nobody, no religious man would do anything like that. In fact, it's basically what got him killed. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, <laughs> it's like Jesus couldn't help himself. His last recorded conversation it wasn't with a saint. It wasn't with a follower. It was with a criminal. It was a guy pinned to a piece of wood for probably very, very good reason, being executed. And in his dying moments, this fellow looks at him and just says, hey, Jesus, would you please remember me? And it's like Jesus is like, yes, one more before I die. Okay, yes. You're in. I'm absolutely going to remember you. It's like he just can't help himself. Everything's inside of him. Saying, oh, here's another one that's going to be on the receiving end of my love and my grace. You're in with me. This is the community that you see. I don't know if people think about the church like that. But that's what Jesus was starting. In the ancient world, they generally had like zero use or respect for a person who was poor. If you didn't have means, man, you were pawn scum of society. People who were poor. But this strange little community began to blossom and flourish. They began to remember what Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 6 when he said that phrase, blessed are the poor. They remember that one time when Jesus met that rich young ruler. He said to him, why don't you just sell everything and come and follow me? They remembered that. And so they just welcomed the poor into their community. So much so that a Roman emperor who hated Christianity and was opposed to Christianity, this is what he said about the Christians, about the community, about the church that Jesus Christ began. Quote, he said, I think when the poor were overlooked by pagan priests. That's the problem, okay? The poor, he says, I think that when the poor were overlooked by pagan priests, he says, those impious Galileans, these are his words, so those Jewish people from that area, the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus Christ, he says, I know they were Christians because they showed no piety towards the Roman gods. He noticed this. Noticed what? He noticed that the poor were being ignored and that they, the Christians, they devoted themselves in generosity. He says their support, not, they support not only their poor, but ours as well, that everyone can see that our people lacked aid from us. Do you understand? Once there was a day when a group of people who loved God and loved each other and loved the world so much so that just a miracle transpired. This new community, this thing called the church, this unprecedented idea, they formed together and one of the leaders, he comes out with this statement, no more, no more, Jew, Gentile, we're done with that. Male, excuse me, male, female, we're done with that. 
That's not the way the community of God is going to function anymore. No more barriers. No more hostility. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Give me an amen. amen. This is the idea. So gang, here's the question. Who's welcome at our church? Not a trick question. Who's welcome at our church? Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, everybody is welcome in the community of God. Poor. Rich. And I say this with great pleasure. Black. White. Brown. Yellow. Red. Or as lily white as an Irishman. Doesn't matter. No barriers. Democrat. Republican. Give me an amen, church. It doesn't matter. You're welcome in the community of God. Atheist, agnostic, skeptic, Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, Wiccan, straight, gay, trans, depressed, happy, addicted, married, single, divorced, whether you think you've got your life together or whether your life is falling apart at the seams, we will unconditionally love people. That's it. <laughs> Praise God. And if you came here today <laughs> because you love Jesus, or if you came here today because somebody dragged you here who loves Jesus, if you came in here today and you're desperate for help and you don't know where else to look, I'm telling you right now, it's not an accident that you're here. It's not. It was Jesus' plan because he said he was going to build his church. And that church would reach out to everybody with unconditional love. And that means you too. I don't care what you've done. What you've done. I don't care, you know, this like the shame and the regret. It's off the scale. And he says, yep, and I love you too. I know what you've done. I know what you said. I know the mistakes. And yes, I welcome you into the family of God. How powerful is the church going to be? The second value and the last one is community impact. How powerful is this church going to be? And the ripples are never going to stop. They're going to go out from this community and they're just going to have this effect. It's going to have enormous power. The expression, the gates of hell that Jesus used in that scripture in Matthew 16, the gates of Hades, was a common phrase that people would use to literally describe the pains and the angst and the, the difficulty of life. You talk about a pandemic. It was like, that's what they would say. This is like the gates of hell coming against us. And yet, Jesus speaks with this incredible confidence about the church in the context of all of that junk that comes our way. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, when the forces of hell are unleashed, the gates of the church will be able to keep them out. That's not what Jesus says in that scripture. He says, you don't get it. When the forces of the church are unleashed, the gates of hell will not be able to keep the church out. He's saying, guys, the church is on the march with forces that this world has never seen before. And it's love and it's mercy and grace and compassion and forgiveness and justice and generosity and truth and humility and it's being unleashed. And the gates of hell is not going to know how to cope with that and it's going to crumble before them. It may not look like it, but that is what is taking place. 
I don't know, but I wonder if there was a moment when Jesus began to describe this project where one by one, these disciples just began to respond to him. Almost in a sense like, we, we didn't know that it was this, but I gotta tell you, Jesus, I'm, I'm in. That's what I felt as a young man. I'm in. Like, this is real. This is significant. I want in on this. I want to be a part of this. I've got to be in on this. I want to share with you over the course of the last five months with this lockdown that we had, like, this church did not cease. And I want you to know, I want you to be aware, I, and I, it's not for the sake of bragging or, ooh, look at what we did. That's the last thing on my mind, or certainly in my heart. I want you to see the action of the church the way it actually should be the case. Let, let me tell you what this church was a part of, and we mentioned this in videos and devotionals, but I think it's right for me to say it again. And I would love for you to celebrate this. We saw men and women who were just publicly professing their loyalty and their commitment to Jesus Christ through baptism. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God for that. That took place a few weeks ago right behind that wall right there. I love it when we have baptisms. I always end up in the back kind of crying a little bit. I can't help it. It gets me emotional when I see people in public just standing up and saying, come what may, I don't care what anyone else thinks, but my loyalty and my profession of faith for the rest of my life is to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to do this publicly in front of everybody. Did you know that this church bought meal after meal after meal for police and paramedics and firefighters? It was your giving, your generosity, your offering, your tithe that went to Shepherd City, that went to Mount Pleasant City, went to Isabella County Sheriff's Office, went to Michigan State Police, went to Central Michigan Public Safety, and also went to Saginaw Chippewa Tribal Police. Ding dong ditch. Particularly at the beginning of this little pandemic that we had. You guys remember what ding dong ditch was? Like, hit the doorbell, ding dong, and then you, you kind of leg it. Because people were uncomfortable, they were behind their doors. And what kept on happening in the community of God was, people began to discover, oh, I've got a friend, I've got a buddy, I've got a neighbor, I've got a colleague, and they're having a hard time. They're struggling to get out of the house, or they're not well. So people in this church were basically going and getting their groceries, or getting medicine from the pharmacy for them, or what they needed, and they were ding-dong, ditching it on the porch and doing a legger and getting out of there and sending love and sending notes. Kid Life was just incredible. So grateful for the Kid Life staff and the volunteers who were sending notes to kids and doing ding-dong ditch to as many kids as they could, finding kids on their birthday and just celebrating them and giving them love and support and care. I don't know if you know this, but the church sent thousands and thousands of dollars to mid-Michigan health care. I, I got a thank you note in my... In, in, to my home, it was about this size from Mid Michigan Healthcare. Thank you for all your generosity. We sent thousands of dollars to a neighboring church in Midland when the floods came, when the two dams that broke in Midland. And so we sent thousands of dollars into a local church there that were actively engaging in the community to help families who were in the middle of a crisis. And then I heard reports of people in our local church who just got in their cars and they drove down to Midland. And then they just started helping people who honestly were just gutting their houses and tearing down, like, you know, the plaster and the drywall that had just gotten kind of soaked and destroyed. And then just spending time with people and sitting with them and talking to them and caring for them. 
And then our deacon team, they were like, we want to send more relief. So they actually sent additional thousands of dollars into relief for the flood victims as well. We had scores of individuals. Praise God. We had scores of individuals and families in this church who were putting care packages together of essential items for families that we then all sent into the care store that went out into the lives of hundreds and hundreds of different families as well. And then on top of that, this church provided all of the financial resources necessary for another wonderful ministry in this town called Life Choices so they could do an additional three diaper drives for families who've got little kids and babies and needed the help as well. So I just want to say thank you to the church. Thank you for your generosity. And when it comes to the ripple effect and the power of God, I want to say thank you that there wasn't this sense of like, oh no, the sky is falling. Let's just lock our doors and sing our little songs and we'll just hide in here together. There wasn't this insular mindset. Instead, it was the very opposite of that. And I'll tell you why, because I think we get it. We're not spiritual spectators, are we? We are spiritual contributors. We are one of the few organizations on the planet that does not exist for the people who are members in it. We exist for those who are not yet a part of us. We refuse to be the church that turns inward when things outward become messy and difficult. And when the building was closed, the church was open because Jesus didn't die for bricks and mortar. Jesus died for people who are on the outside of the family, who are filled with doubts and reservations and anger and frustration and pride. He died and he rose again so that people on the outside could come and be a part of the inside. And when the church building was closed, the church, the people of God, were open for business because we don't just go to church. We are the church wherever we go. That's why, <laughs> praise God, that's why we never ask the question, Watch the question, what can the church do for me? We don't even ask that question because we're not spiritual consumers. We're spiritual contributors. The church doesn't exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Give me an amen. All right. It's making sense. So what's your part in it? Where do you click into and dial into this incredible idea. I find myself counting it just a privilege to be a part of the family of God. Something resonates inside of me where I can honestly say, look, it's not this thing on a Sunday that I do for an hour, and I'm thrilled that we're here. And for those of us joining online, I'm thrilled that you're doing that. But it's so much more than that, that we actually are the church. You see, here's the thing. Jesus isn't done. He is still building his church. And the root question comes back to you. In the context of you, and how do you fit into this incredible idea? Was this your idea? Or were you poorly advised? <laughs> what a rude question. To which we respond, it's his idea. It's his it's his church. He thought it up. He created it. He authorized it. He resourced it when it had nothing. He launched it when it was nothing more than an idea. He continues to superintend it no matter how bad we try to mess it up. And we do mess it up sometimes. No matter what problems the church faces, it will continue to move forward and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is the ministry 
that every single one of you have been called to devote your life to. Others have come before us. Others will come after us. But today, we're here. This is our day, and this is our moment. And if I could wrap it up simply by quoting this famous scripture, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will, man, we're going to serve God. So here's what we're going to do right now. I want us to worship for just a moment. And I'm going to invite us to stand right now. And then please don't peg it out of here. I want to come back and I want to say one more thing to you. Let's stand up together. Let's worship Jesus.